Take your Bibles now and open them up to Luke 12, 22. We're right again in the middle of Jesus' response to some people criticizing him, some people questioning him. Everyone is looking to him, and Jesus is well okay with that. And so he's giving to them the instructions, and he's giving to them commands, and he's giving to them insights in order that they would do well upon his exodus as he leaves. And says, okay, you guys are in charge now. Here's the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember what I told you? I wasn't writing anything down. You know, <laughs> you ever just sit there and listen to your boss or your superior or your wife? or They're all the same, really. But if you, you know, you listen and... And they're talk, 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 and you're just like, I am really not knowing where this is going. I haven't listened to anything. Listen, Jesus is giving this instruction in order that these guys would be equipped for every good work. And even as we gather here on Sundays, and as I study throughout the week, I read this stuff, I'm like, you know what, if I actually believed that, that would change everything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If I actually did that, wow, that would be crazy. Sometimes I read the scriptures, and I'm like, I hope he didn't mean that for real, and I just keep going, because that'll change everything about me. And yet the thing about the Bible is, is that it's alive, it's active, okay, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's actually able to discern your thoughts and your intentions. It gets in between the nitty-gritty of what you actually think and what you actually do. It is the only thing that can actually penetrate your soul and your mind at any given hour, at any given day, right this morning, and meet you right where you're at. Raise your hands if you're exactly right where the person sitting next to you is at in life, Okay. <laughs> You're, you're on the same journey, you got the same income, the same overhead, the same experience, the same future. If you're in the exact same place as the person next to you, raise your hand. Anybody here just identical life stage? Nobody. You're all doing something, yet you know what? The Bible's going to speak to you exactly what you need. You're going to receive a meal today. You're going to receive insight. You're going to receive helpful edification. You're going to receive some of you today healing, like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know I was hurt right there. I didn't even know I was being hindered. I didn't know I needed that. How, how could that be possible? I'll tell you one thing. It's not because of the preacher, okay? It's because of what we're preaching. It's because of the Bible, the gospel, the words of Jesus Christ. And Jesus knows that. And so without missing a beat, he's looking at his followers, his listeners, knowing that they are sheep, sheep. You know, he's such a good shepherd. He's like, oh, man, man. You know, he looks at him, and yet he ministers to them, knowing that they can't minister to themselves, at least not without his help. So this is what he says. This is a continuation. We have like at least three more teachings in this sermon by Jesus in Luke 12. And I hate to break it up like we have to on our Sundays. But right in the middle of his sermon, Jesus kind of turns a segue point, a transition. And this is what he says, verse 22. I'm going to read all the way to verse 34 and then pray. Then he said to his disciples, therefore, and the therefore is always there for a reason. It's a conclusion statement. Because of what I've been saying. Because of what I am saying, therefore, here's the application. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. C consider the ravens. I just love the way Jesus would teach. He looks around. What's available to him? He's like, ah, there's maybe a big pile of ravens over there eating a carcass or something. He says, look at the ravens. Just consider the ravens. And ravens are dirty birds, right? They're just nasty birds. They're not, he's, he's already talked about sparrows and birds falling and God being in control. Now he kind of goes on the pendulum the other side. You know, you don't ever see a raven. Like, look at a raven. You know, it's like you do that with an eagle or something, you know, a hawk or an owl. But a raven, you're like, look at a raven. Get a BB gun. You know, like, I don't like this raven. And yet Jesus says, no, let's look at the ravens in order to illustrate God's faithfulness. Consider the ravens, verse 24. For they neither sow nor reap, and which, have, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to its stature? Which one of you can add some length to your days by worrying? Some translations say, which one of you can add height to your body by worrying? As a young person, I was very insecure of my height, and I actually did try and add height by worrying. You know, I just get a little taller, you know, and evidently it did not work at all. Should have read the Bible. <laughs> Jesus, which one of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? You, 
And if you then are not able to do the least, that is adding a minute or two to your life by worrying. You can't even, you, you can't do anything. Then why are you anxious for the rest? Another illustration Jesus uses, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon, one of the richest men to ever live in the entire history of the known universe. There's a list of the richest men who've ever lived in the entire universe, and Solomon is number five on that historical list. The fifth wealthiest man monetarily, gold bricks and horses and shields and all of that wealth. Not only was he the fifth richest man in the history of the known world monetarily, but he was the absolute richest man in the world by way of wisdom. He's the smartest guy ever to live. He had the biggest wealth of all. And Jesus references him real quick. He says, you know what's even greater than Solomon? Flowers. You know, and, like, and these guys had to think that through. They're like, why is he talking about ravens and birds and flowers? And he drops Solomon's name real quick. And if you believe this sermon today, if you truly do, it's going to change everything for you. Everything you're dealing with right now, everything you're dealing with in the past, everything you'll deal with tomorrow, it will change everything about you. That's why Jesus, with great intensity, says, guys, look at the ravens, look at the birds, look back at Solomon. All of that was under my control. And if I can control the ravens and the flowers, and if I can give Solomon what I gave Solomon, how much more so? Can I do for you what you need done in your own lives? Look at verse 28. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, it's just kindling, it's gone. Well, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek that which you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind for these things the nations of the world seek after. Listen. And your father knows that you need these things. I really like that. Because you could get legalistic in the teaching like this. Don't worry about that. And don't seek after that. And don't get involved in that. Why not? Well, because your father knows you need those things. In other words, he'll take care of it. These things aren't in and of themselves bad. But when they give you ulcers, when they dominate your mind, when they lead your life, things have gotten out of whack. And God knows you need these things. This is kind of the whole idea is that God's heart towards you as his shepherd, you are his sheep, he is your father, you are his kids, and he loves you. He loves you. That's really kind of the big idea. Does, does God really love me? Does God really love us? This is the question you ask and the question the world asks and the question that we all must ask throughout our lives. Does God really love me? Does he really love me based on my situation or my circumstances, based on what I just got in the mail, based on what I see in the mirror, based on who I'm living with, based who left me, based on all this, is God's love still secure? This is the one lie that is the root and father of all life. Remember in the Garden of Eden when the serpent snuck in there and began to question God's love to Eve? Is God really good? I don't know. I've never had that thought before. Has he really provided for you everything you need? And she had everything she needed, and yet the devil began to undermine that commitment that God had given to her of love based on her situation and circumstances. Do you know the same lies being brought to you every single day based on your life? Satan wanting you to test and challenge and question God's love, his goodness towards you. Because in your life, if it's anything like my life, there are things that happen, difficulties that arise, issues that I didn't volunteer for things that i must deal with and the lord says do you, do you think i still love you i know you need those things I, I i know it and i'm going to take care of you verse 30 he gives this contrast of what it means to be a christian and what the world does for all of these things the nations of the world seek after and your father knows that you need these things verse 31 but seek the kingdom of god and all of these things shall be added unto you do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom i wonder if he said that with a smile on his face guys fear not your dad loves you i got you there's a distraction amiss there's things going on down here, but it's God's good pleasure to bless you. He's going to give you the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you, because he loves you. Verse 33, sell what you have. Some of your newer translations say, have a garage sale right there. 
have a garage sale and give alms. That's just be generous. Find somebody else who has less than you. Don't be so selfish. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. This is a spiritual idea. Becoming a generous person. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your hearts will be also. Let's pray and ask God to anoint his word, to anoint his teacher, to anoint his students. Lord, in Jesus' name, we do ask an anointing on this time that your word, Lord, would come alive. We believe it is alive, and yet, Lord, we want to receive from it what you have. That means we become students today and say, okay, here we are. Teach us something that we would receive, that we would be the sheep that come to the shepherd with our mouths open and say, give us what we want. That's our hearts this morning. And so we rest in full assurance, Lord, that you want to give us the things of the kingdom of heaven, that it is your good pleasure to bring to us the things, Lord, that Satan would want us to miss out on or to avoid, that, Lord, the contrast of your joy over us. And I pray in Jesus' name a blessing now, Lord, on the ears that are acting right now, the mouth that is speaking, that your spirit would overtake us all. Bless this time, and I pray for true changes in our hearts and our minds, Lord, for the glory of God, for the good of others, for the edification of your body. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I'll tell you what. uh, The Bible is what I like to call timeless and timely. Okay? It is both timeless in that it has been able to minister to every time of people that has ever lived on planet Earth from the beginning to the end. It is timeless. That is, it transcends eras and peoples and cultures, and no matter who reads it, when they read it, they find it applicable to their day right then and there, which is actually impossible unless, of course, God wrote it for his people who are going to live on planet Earth throughout the times. You don't need to raise your hands, but how many of you guys have found the Bible to be insightful? You know, like helpful, like, oh, that's very helpful. I read the Proverbs one time, and let's get stuck. You know, it's, it's helpful, it's insightful, but it's helpful and insightful, not like Reader's Digest is, okay? Reader's Digest is also helpful and insightful, and I like the little comics in there, you know, and I read, you know, it's, it's kind of cool, but it, Reader's Digest won't transform your life or be transcendent and timeless. The scriptures are, though. Most of you know this. This is the 9 a.m. service. You guys are Bible students. You've already kind of wrestled with this idea. When you open up this book, dust doesn't come flying off and moths don't fly away, you know, and you don't have to pull out your King James accent. You open this book. If you're like me, you open this book up and it's very relevant for your day right then and there. Like, this is it. This is my daily bread. And it's not stale. It's actually piping hot. It's fresh. It's timeless. It's crazy. Here's the deal about the Bible, though. It's not just timeless. Okay, it's also timely. Where you're at is where you're at. Most of you figured this out. If you haven't yet, you will. That when you open the Bible or when you go to church, more often than not, because it's alive and it's timeless, that what the preacher preaches on somehow mysteriously and miraculously is exactly what you're going through and what you needed to hear. Has that ever happened to you before? Okay. That's because I get my data before I preach from the NSA. They tell me what's going on. It's a nervous chuckle right there. Like, <laughs> 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 you know, no, dude. It's because God knows you, and it's crazy town. It's not the Reader's Digest. It's his word, and his word is alive. It's his way. It's his voice to us, and it has been preserved. It has been proven. It has been shown powerful in the lives and the application of those who would seek him. It's crazy. This is what makes my job really so fun. People always tell me, look, that was a great sermon, and this and that. I'm like, look. It's all right here. If I have to stand up behind this pulpit without a Bible, we're done, okay? It's now called the comedy hour, and it's a different time, different place. It's a totally, totally different agenda, okay? But if the Bible's here in front of me, between me and you, we're good, okay? Because this book will change your life. This book will give you exactly what you need, whether I'm here or not. And so I hope you have a copy. We have copies of the scriptures on my left. Take one home, read it, get to know the Bible, spend the rest of your life feeding yourself because not only is it God's word, not only is it timeless, but it'll also timely. As a matter of fact, last week I had dozens of people contact me about the sermon last week, about how timely it was in their lives and how applicable 
this idea of covetousness and, and, and wealth and resources. And this guy who had barns and wanted to build bigger barns for himself that he would take his ease. And so many people contacted me in order to say that that was exactly what they needed to hear. This one couple on their way to church was talking about what they were going to do with this and how they were going to do that. And then they sat down and heard the message and they just looked at each other and said, oh, <laughs> guess we're having a garage sale, you know. It was the Lord just recalibrating because we get crazy. Thousands and thousands of subliminal messages we receive daily from the world of what we should do and what we should be and where we should go and what we should think and bombarded. And then just a moment in God's word, clarity. Oh, yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, so good. That's the timeliness and the timelessness and the power of God's word. It's kind of like if you scheduled a couple hours to sit in the presence of the most powerful, most knowledgeable, most loving person in the world. Okay, would you bring a pen and paper? You know, the most knowledgeable, most powerful, most loving person in the world. You got an hour with them. And you would then talk to them and receive from them. That's what happens when you present yourself to God's word. It is going to minister to you as if you just spent time with the most knowledgeable, most powerful, most loving person in the world. That's Jesus Christ where we are is where we are. And so just like last week helped change people's lives, this week will too. Uh, last week we did learn about a guy who had too much. He tore down his barns to make room for more stuff. He wanted to get more, to keep more, to have more. That's kind of his agenda. And some of you are thinking, well, is that bad? You know, you missed just last week's sermon. You know, like getting more, wanting more, keeping more. And his sin was the sin of covetousness. That is, wanting more of what you already have enough of. And it's not so much that that sin is going to offend God as much as that sin is going to mess with you in your life. You see, God is offended at all of our sins. No matter what we do, he's offended. He's a perfect God. But when God looks at you and me, he looks at the, the sin and how it's going to impact us. And when he says don't do this, it's not because he's, you know, freaking out about his own peace and comfort. He looks at what the sin is going to do to you, and to me, he's like, hey, guys, don't covet. It made the big ten, the ten commandments, number one, two, three, and the tenth one, don't covet. Don't want more of what you already have enough of. Why? Because there'll never be enough, and I don't want you to live that way. I don't want you to walk around with a bunch of stuff actually thinking you don't have enough. Have you done this before? Have you had more than enough only to believe that you actually don't have enough of what you already have enough of? And everyone around you is like, you already have enough, sit down. You know, everyone's mad at you, and you're mad at the 1%, and everyone's mad at each other. And the rest of the world is looking for clean water. This, this, this sin, wanting more, it's not just offensive, but it's actually destructive to you and to me. Because having stuff is not a sin. It's when your stuff has you that you're in trouble. And some people want to just get all they can and, and can all they get and then sit on the can. You should write a book with that title and sell millions, you know. Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Illustrated, you know. <laughs> People will buy it. Here's the deal. Some of you guys are, are hearing this right now, and you're wrestling your flesh. Like, oh, I, I hear you, but I really like my stuff. You know, and, and I, don't, I don't know, what, why are you talking about stuff again? Why is Jesus, and I, I wrestle with this. Here's Jesus just months before the cross, and he's talking about stuff. Be careful of the stuff, guys. Don't go after the stuff. It's not a sin to have the stuff, but if the stuff has you, you're in trouble. Figure it out. Back up. Hit reverse. And, and God doesn't want your stuff, just so you guys know. Like, you got to get that through your mind. Like, what's God's real agenda? Does God, is, does God have a warehouse up in heaven? He wants you to give, give him, he wants you to give him your stuff because he, like, he likes your stuff? Is that, no. He doesn't want to take your stuff. Listen, this, will, this is kind of profound. He doesn't want to take your stuff. What he does want to take is your stress. He wants to take that which is killing you. It's like, hey, just, I, don't want, I don't want your stuff. I'll throw it in the garbage. But I, w I want your stress to go away. I want you to have so much peace. And it doesn't come from a next or another or a different. It's really an issue of the heart. So in today's continued sermon that uh, Jesus is preaching about money and wealth and stuff, he, he changes direction. And instead of giving advice on having too much, I got to stuff, but I, I need a bigger barn, and I got more than I need. Instead of that, maybe he's looking at his disciples who had given up everything to follow him. They're like, we don't even have a barn, you know. That's not our problem. You know? Maybe he's looking at them saying, guys, I don't want, okay, you guys who have already given up everything and are living on this idea of I'm going to take care of you, here's your biggest problem is going to be worry about what you don't have. 
There are those who are going to be plagued by having too much. It's going to be their problem. Wealth is a, re, it's a responsibility. Ha- having wealth and, and, and resources is not a sin. It's a matter of managing those well, leveraging that to the glory of God and to the benefit of others. If God's given to you uh, the ability to invest and to think and to be in the right place at the right time with the right people and make things happen, amen. Use that for his glory. Don't be taken down and off track. Buy those things, but use whatever resources God's given to you for his glory. But there's other people in here. You're not, that's not your problem. You're waking up every day wondering if you have enough month at the end of the money or there's too much money at the end of the month or things aren't working for you and Jesus is going to talk to the rest of us now and say hey I don't want you to worry about what you need and he uses these illustrations of ravens and birds and flowers and all this stuff even this morning I was, I was driving to church this morning I saw this blooming bush of flowers just like right they're just blooming like in the side no one's watering it. no one's ca- the Lord's watering it we all know that like you know here in Newport he waters it all the time you know <laughs> got enough water, you know, and it was just like, just blooming, beautiful, I was like, there it is, Lord, you're just proving this point, that you care for us, you, you know, and here's the deal, whether it's greed, having too much, or wanting too much, going after too much, or whether it's worry, not having enough, being afraid, living in fear, they're very similar because the problem is is that neither have their eyes on Jesus. And so really, I love Jesus in his ability to address this guy. Hey, I need more money. Like we saw, that's what the guy said. Lord, I need more money. And Jesus said, really, that's what you want to talk about? Okay, we'll talk about it. And then he looked at the guys who didn't have any money. He said, I want to talk to you guys too. Those who were on the ropes, those who've lost everything, those who are wondering, he's like, I got you too. And he begins to speak then to those who struggle with worry or worry specifically about having too little. How many of you guys uh, have ever worried before? Raise your hands. Worry? Worry? Okay. How many of you guys lie in church? Just sit there. You know? <laughs> all, we all worry, man. We worry. I've been thinking about this all week. Just this idea of your mind. It's a constant conversation. Your mind is constantly going, constantly uh, creating scenarios and opportunities and rehearsing situations. And, and most of what you think about, though, has not happened. And listen, here to tell you, most of what you think about has not happened and actually won't happen. Okay? It's all a drama in your mind. It's all fake. Primarily, like 95% of what goes on in your mind will never happen the way you think it's going to happen. It is just eating at your very being. And so the Lord looks at us and says, hey, don't worry. Just st- stop it. Stop worrying because I don't want you to be plagued and miss out on what's going on right around you. As a matter of fact, in my Bible, uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 22, there's a heading uh, chapter break here. And at the very top there, it says, do not worry. Anybody else have the heading break right there? Okay, do not worry. Um, Anybody not have that right there and you're worried that your Bible doesn't have that? Like, you know, (laughs) ah, you know, ah, you know, worried and (laughs) We worry. We worry about having too little money. We worry about having too little time. We worry about having too little talent. Maybe you're stressed about having too little love for the people around you. Maybe you're not strong enough. You have too little strength. Maybe you have too little ammunition. Thank you. Somebody's listening. <laughs> Maybe you have too little fabric. You know, I don't have enough fabric. My mom's in the back here. You know, what do you, what do you, what's too little? What do you have not enough of? But you really do. But you're constantly thinking about it. And the Lord would say, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't worry. As a matter of fact, don't worry, don't fret, and don't fear are the most repeated commands and instructions and teaching in the entirety of the Scripture, Old and New Testament combined. In the very first couple books of the Bible, the first five books, there are the Ten Commandments that come out in Exodus, the big ten, like love God, don't love idols, don't lie, don't murder, love your spouse, keep the Sabbath day holy, you know, the big ten. There's the Ten Commandments, do these and you're going to be just really doing good. But then there was another 603, 613 total with the Big Ten added to the Old Testament commands. Don't do this, don't do this, watch out for that, here's this, watch that, all this other stuff. But throughout the scriptures, of those 613 commands, the one that's repeated and reiterated and reoffered to the people of God are don't worry, don't fear, don't fret. It's a perennial, listen, message to the masses, but it's also a perennial problem to the people. That God would have to continue to say, don't fret, don't worry, is because you and I, we love to fret, we love to worry, and he makes sure that we understand his heart toward that. 
And you've got to know the Father's heart when he says, don't worry. You know, when he gives the commands, don't murder, don't lie. I'm not saying he's got, like, you know, a growl in his voice, but there's some seriousness to it. Like, don't do that. That's bad. We know that. But when he says, don't worry, I don't think he's scowling anymore. Like, hey, stop worrying. You know, I wasn't worried, but now I am worried. You know, like, you yelled at me. You know, you got to know the father's heart. It'd be like you if you were a good parent or a good spouse or a good friend. And you saw your friends sick with worry. Maybe kids is the best illustration. If I see my kids just, just worried and tears flowing in their eyes, like, well, what's going on? And I stopped everything. What, what's, what's happening? I'm just worried about this. You, oh, oh, man. And I'm their dad. Like, don't, don't worry about that. That's not even, that's dumb. You're a kid. That's a dumb thing to be worried about. Whatever they're worried about is probably dumb, you know. And I don't, I don't say that to them. But I, I see it as their dad. Like, oh, that, that'll work itself out. Not only that, but I'm your dad. Like, I want to make sure everything good happens for you. I got you. When I tell my kids, don't worry, it's not because I'm mad at them. It's because I'm committed to them. And I love them. Can you imagine the Lord looking at your life right now and the fret and the worry and the angst and the fear and all that you're dealing with? He's like, hey, you don't have to worry. Why are you worried? Well, Lord, don't you see down here? He's like, of course I see. I see everything. And he would just come to you over and over and over. Say, do not fear. There has been studies, maybe not. There has been assumptions that over 365 times the Bible says do not fear, one for every day of the year. I haven't counted. I don't know if that's true, but I do believe that it is, again, perennial, annual message every single day. Hey, don't worry. Don't worry. Because the opposite of worry is what? Starts with F, rhymes with eighth. No, thank, thank you. Two volunteers. Thank you. I made it really easy for you guys. Faith. The opposite of worry is faith. I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord. In the midst of this situation, and I would love to say don't worry. Why? Because it's all going to be easy. Well, no, there's lots of things to worry about. There's lots of things in life that are not going to be easy. As a matter of fact, if you're like me, you're living a real life with real uncertainties and real, real challenges guaranteed to be right in front of you. When the Lord says, don't worry, you're like, okay, what should I do then? Trust me. Walk into that storm. Walk into that battle. Walk into that issue and that situation and trust me to work it out. It's going to require some participation. You can't just sit back and sleep in. I'm not worried about today. Call your boss. I'm not coming in today. Why not? Not worried. You know, hang up. Like, <laughs> no, it's not what Pastor Luke said. <laughs> Bank calls you, overdraft, not worried, you know. <laughs> Nope. No, there's, there's plenty to worry about in the sense of real situations. And the Lord would say, I don't want you to freak out, though. My favorite story, and I share it too often, but it just is so relevant to me, is King David when he showed up to the battlefield there with his brothers to give them some cheese. He brought them some Domino's pizza or something like that. He brought them some food, and he got there just in time to see the battle against Goliath. And he was so excited. He's like, oh, I'm glad I didn't miss it. Who gets to kill Goliath? And he was ready to watch, ready to take notes and write a song about it. That's what David did. And everyone's like, do you see how big he is? We're all worried. Nobody, he has a spear, you know, he's a shield. Oh, are you, for, can I do it? Is it okay? Is it okay with everyone if I do it? Is that okay? And he had some reason. Now, does that, his reasoning in that story is because he'd seen God's deliverance with the hand of the lion and the paw of the bear. He said, God's already delivered me. And then he had another reasoning. He said, and not only has God already done things, and you don't even need to raise your hands, but has God done anything for you? Has he just been just, has he been just faithful to you? He's been so faithful. It's nuts. Every time. And yet tomorrow you're going to have another giant. Oh, another giant. <laughs> you know. We'll have, and David said, he's been faithful with the bear and the lion. I've seen this go down. Then he had another reasoning. This is my favorite. He said, and that giant, he hates God. He's a God hater. He's a Philistine. He says, that guy's hating God. He doesn't like God. And so that's, God's kind of going to take that personal. God's going to write the check and cash it. He can do it. Give me a rock. And he goes to battle. And he writes a song about it afterwards too, you know. God loves us and he wants to care for us. He doesn't want us to fear and to worry about every single thing. There's something weird about fear and worry. It almost feels like you're being responsible, doesn't it? And there's a degree of planning, okay, of assertiveness, of responsibility and maturity that is required to do what you do. 
But there is then a sin where you go into worry, where it plagues your mind and consumes your body, and it starts in your brain, and then it's seen in your physics, and everything around you starts to kind of fall apart and seen, and it just kind of takes over, and there's a balance to being engaged and responsible, but then there's something that we get addicted to, which is the rush of worry and the fear that we have been so comfortable with for so long. And the Lord would say to you, maybe today's a divine meeting where you just say, do not worry worry. That's just all you hear. Don't, don't worry. As a matter of fact, look at verse 22. He says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. He gives a few different kind of areas. He says, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. I like that first line though. Therefore, don't worry about your life. What part? <laughs> all of it. All of it. You know, no, don't worry about your life. And he, and, he, and he gives this long teaching. The Father loves you. He's going to give you the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Don't get distracted. Look at the lilies. Look at the ravens he gives. Look at Solomon. Look at all this crazy stuff. Don't worry. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, why not? Because God knows you need that stuff. I like that. God's not being just a, a weird restrictor jerk. I don't want you to have anything. That's not what he said. He said, I know you need everything. So don't worry about stuff there. Instead, put your mind above those things and seek first the kingdom of heaven. And then guess what? He'll give you all that stuff. Okay? You'll have a house, you'll have a job, you'll have friends, you'll have, you'll have employment, you'll have a purpose, you'll have value, you'll have all that, you'll have, you'll have things to do down here, plenty of things to do. If what? If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God, no, God, you're here on purpose, not to detach from society and to not engage. That's not the point. The point is, is as we engage in society with our minds in heaven, Okay? And our bodies here on earth, we become earthly good as we bring heaven down to earth. How many of you guys have heard that prayer before? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're like, what's that going to be like? And the Lord's looking at you saying, I'm waiting until you give me your attention. I would love to have heaven on earth through your life. There while you work there at the gas station, while you make subs at Subway, while you clean houses, while you teach students. I want heaven right now to bless you as you keep your mind fixed on the things above. That's why you're here right now. You're an agent of my grace, an image of my very being, living on purpose. So you gotta know the Father's heart. When he says, don't worry, he loves you. Don't worry about your life. Uh, 500 years ago, a guy by the name of uh, Mikhail de Montangue, something like that, I was worried I'd say it wrong. <laughs> he said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened. And he was a real thinker, and so too you and I, this plague of the mind, this battle of the mind, and it used to be that baseball was the number one pastime in America, but now it's worrying, like just, let's just worry, and let's go to Starbucks and we could worry together, and you know, we'll have worry groups, and you know, sometimes Bible studies turn into to worry studies, you know, and newspapers, it's all worry, worry, and I'm going to watch the worry tonight, I mean the news tonight, you know, and I'm going to go on worry book, I mean Facebook, and I'm going to worry, I'm going to post my worries, and it's just something we love to do, and it, uh, when Jesus says, don't worry about your life, okay, this covers your whole life, where you'll work, where you'll live, who you'll marry, who your kids will be, if you'll have kids, who your kids will marry, where your kids will live, who the government is, what the government does, what will happen to you, what won't happen to you. And, and to me, I was just thinking this through. Worry kind of finds itself in a few basic camps. Okay, we worry about things that might happen. You just do, we worry about that kind of stuff. I'm driving to work. I might, might get pulled over. I might get in a wreck. I, I might be late. I, I might get sick. I, I might get in trouble. Things that might happen. You know how many things might happen? A lot. Just a lot. You ever had a symptom? And then you go Google it. <laughs> you know, and by the time you're done reading, you've, you've got your will filled out. You're dying, you know. <laughs> you are going to die. Because <clears throat> <laughs> of what might happen, you know. Don't Google it. Just pray. Just pray. So we, we worry about things that might happen. We also worry about things that won't happen. We say, oh man, if that doesn't happen, man, if I, I don't know if I'm ever going to retire. I don't, know if that was, I don't know if I'm ever going to find joy. I don't know if I'll ever find a relationship. I don't know if this is ever going to happen. We fear about the things that we want, but we don't know if we'll get. We fear about the things we don't want, but that we might get. We fear about losing things. 
This is why Jesus, I think, asks us to have a garage sale. He's just saying, don't have so many things. You'll be fearful of losing those things. Just hold your hand openly to those things. This is everything, relationships, health, jobs, purpose. You must be able to say, Lord, whatever it is you want, I'm going to seek the kingdom of God. Or, or you could live in fear of losing something. If, I, if you live in fear of losing this or losing that, Jesus would say to you, don't worry about that stuff. I'm your father. It is my good pleasure to give you these things. I really love you. And if I could even just zoom it back to that, it really comes down to do you trust the Lord? When David showed up, he's like, you know who I trust? This rock. It is so powerful. That's not what he trusted. Stupid little rock. Matter of fact, Saul, King Saul's like, hey, David, if you're going to take on Goliath, you're going to need my sword, my shield, my helmet, my belt, my stuff. You're going to need all this technology to take on this problem. He's like, I don't want any of that. I'm going to trust that when I throw this rock as hard as I can, okay, God's going to put it right where it needs to be. And the opposite of worry is faith. I'm trusting the Lord no matter what happens. I love, by the way, the faith that the three amigos had in the book of Daniel chapter 3. Remember when they got in trouble? Bow down. They said, we're not bowing down. They said, Nebuchadnezzar got all mad. Bow down or you're going to be toast, okay? We're going to make marshmallows out of you guys. And the three amigos said, no. And if you throw us in that fire, God can stop those flames from burning us. And then they kept talking. They didn't stop. And they said, but if, they, but if he doesn't, if we do become s'mores right here, if that's what goes down, we still won't bow down to your God. We're still, we trust the Lord, even if it gets weird. Even if it doesn't go the way I want it to, I'm still not going to worry. Go ahead, have your way. And they were bound up and tossed in. You guys know that. And by the way, you Bible students know, three things happened in the fire. Don't raise your hand, I'll not raise it for you. Anybody want to get thrown into the fire? Not today. Nope, I'm cool. They got thrown in the fire. Three things happened. Number one, only thing that burned was their bondages, the ropes. When you go through a test or a trial or something you didn't ask for, chances are whatever's holding you back, holding you down, restricting you is going to be dealt with in the midst of that trial. Chances are. Secondly, while they were in the fire, a fourth person showed up, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Chances are when you go through a trial, you're thrown into something you didn't deserve and you're there. Chances are Jesus will show up and he'll say, how you doing? I see you. I care for you. Oh, I'm getting a tan, Jesus. I'm in the fire. You know, like, and he's like, I know, I know. I'm right here. I'm right here with you. There's bondages being burned, and I'm right here with you. The third thing that happened to the three amigos while in the fire, not only were their bondages burned, not only did they have fellowship with God in their trial, Nebuchadnezzar on the outside watching. He looked and he's like, wait, 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 wait. How many did we throw in? I'm not very good at math. And they said, we threw in three, king. He's like, I count four. I'm not quite positive. You know, there's four. And Nebuchadnezzar was ministered to. He was witnessed to by a tragedy in the lives of these three amigos. And he saw. And he said, get them out of there. Get them out of there. I want to see what's going on. And he brought the three out. Jesus disappeared. He said, what's going on? And Nebuchadnezzar had his life changed forever. I believe we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven because of the three amigos and Daniel's witness in the midst of unfortunate circumstances. Now, again, I'm not telling you, the Bible's not telling you, don't worry because there's nothing to worry about. The Bible's saying don't worry because it won't help. It won't help. Have faith. Have faith in the midst of it all. Have faith. I can't do that. You can if you're a Christian. You can if you're a heavenly person. He says that right on verse 30. He's like, the rest of the world, they're going crazy cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They're seeking after the things of the world. They're over here. You are a Christian. You're not like them. You get to go through fires differently. You get to experience life on a different level and get to see things happen and trust me and have faith in the midst of fear. I wish I could eradicate fear and worry and situations from your life. That's just not going to happen, but I can give you faith, which conquers all things. Again, last week's message was to people who maybe are coveting and want more and are in a different world. This is to people who are going to go through something. He's looking to his boys. Guys, you've given everything up. You actually will have to pay the ultimate cost. He, he knew that about them. So don't worry. Don't worry, my father knows. I know what I'm doing in this world. I'm dealing with your stuff. I'm bringing you closer to Jesus. I'm also using it as a witness to the people around. So what, what, what do you worry about? What's your fears? Fear of getting evicted or fired or sick. Fear of losing something. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about the physiological impacts of fear uh, in a minute. But they did a study years ago about fear. 
and they asked a group of people what they're afraid of. And then throughout the course of this study, they asked the people how many of the things that they feared actually were real and came to fruition and had to be dealt with. And they discerned in this study that 85% of the fears in our minds, only 85%, 85% never happened, okay? That which they were thinking about, and this might happen, I might lose that. 85% never happened. It was just fake up in their mind. They only had to encounter 15% of that which they actually were worried about, and of the 15% of the things they had to deal with, it actually did come. Oh my gosh, got to deal with it. 79% of those things they had to deal with were actually, in their own words, easier than they thought they would be and or caused them to learn a life lesson that was worth the experience. So if you do the math then, that means 97% of what they feared, what they were wrestling with, what kept them up at night, 97% was fake and illicit and didn't really matter. Only 3% was actually legitimate and required their involvement. And Jesus says to us, don't fear. Don't fear. Stop worrying about that. I've I've been thinking about this because I'm studying. I was like, how many things have I been worried about last month that actually didn't happen? Like, how many things? So much. So many things I think about this and that. Just, oh, if that happens, ah, you know. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Well, there could be personal stuff that only you know about and that you're worried about or worldwide things or, you know, wars. Ah, It's going to plague you. Stop it. Jesus says, don't worry about that stuff. And it all happens in your mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. To to really just learn. And you could relearn today. You could say, you know what I'm going to do? No more stinking thinking. I'm going to, every time I'm worried, every time something plagues me, every time I start getting weird, every time I want to talk to my spouse about what I'm worried about or what I want to freak out about or I want to go online and read about, I'm just going to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's a heavenly, weaponly warfare uh, that he's given to us, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And I find myself worry, worrying about either things in the past, things that haunt me. You guys have a past, things you worry about sometimes, skeletons, things you've done, Okay. More, though, I find myself worrying about the future. 75, maybe 85% of my mind goes towards the future, the unknown, what's going to happen. And I then spend about 5% of my time in the present, worrying about what I'm doing wrong then. And Lord's like, what are you doing? Stop that. Seek the, he gives us a remedy here. I hope you saw that. Seek the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Get rid of your, just, just be generous. Be kind. God will give you what you need to eat and drink, what you need to wear. He'll give all that to you. In in verse 22, read it again. It says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. That word worry literally means to be torn apart. To to worry, to to be, just wrestle, just shredded. And worry and stress and fear actually do that physiologically to your body. When you begin to worry about something, your body naturally and physiologically goes into what's known as the fight or flight mode, where it releases cortisol and adrenaline and glucose and all of these chemicals into your body because your body thinks it needs to fight a saber-toothed tiger, okay? You're stressing out, like, why are you stressing out? I gotta go hunt a bear, you know? Like, I gotta go march and fight against Goliath, and your body's actually made to fight something, some evil, or to flight, that is to run from something that is going to kill you. And yet when you're like us in America today, you don't have saber-toothed tigers, you're probably not going to war, but you sit there at your desk or you sit there at your house and your body is dumping cortisol and adrenaline and glucose and all of these elements into your body over and over and over. And you guys who've done this study know that this eventually deteriorates your insides and causes all kinds of calamities to be experienced. As a matter of fact, here's just a few side effects to worrying. Why would Jesus say don't worry? Here's just a few physiological side effects. Difficulty swallowing, dizziness, dry mouth, fast heartbeat, fatigue, headaches, adrenal failure, inability to concentrate, irritability, muscle aches, muscle tension, nausea, nervous energy, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, sweating, trembling or twitching. All of this happens right before I preach, by the way. All of that just (laughs) right there. Just I wish it weren't true. All of it. I'm like, what? You know? They're watching me, you know. <laughs> and if you don't check this stuff, it's, I make fun, but it's actually serious, and you guys know that. And uh, uh, It eventually will suppress your immune system. You'll have digestive disorders, uh, short-term memory loss, premature coronary uh, artery disease, heart attack, all kinds of stuff, from stress. Matter of fact, if you went to your doctor right now and said, hey, I want to live long and healthy, okay, what do I eat? You know, exercise and diet. It's pretty important, right? Sure, sure. 
But you can have great exercise and great diet and look great, but on the inside, your mind can be going crazy and your body producing cortisol and adrenaline and glucose and crazy amounts of things that you don't need because you're not having faith, but instead you're under stress. And even if you're eating right and having a dietary discipline, you could find yourself destroying your insides. As a matter of fact, if you went to your doctor and said, I want to be healthy and live long, the first thing he or she should say is stop stressing. You need to stop stressing. Stop worrying. And now they're coining Jesus here. Jesus, they're taking his phrase. Don't worry. Stop worrying about all this stuff. He goes on to say in verse 23, life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Man, even just thinking about food and clothing stresses me out. Doesn't it stress you out, you know? Like food, like what are you guys eating today? Well, I'm gluten-free, vegan, GMO, whole range, organic. You know, it's like, ah, you know, ah, I'm stressed out, you know. Does this have hormones in it? Ah, you know. (laughs) Or clothing, man. We get stressed out, clothing, the sales and all this. And these guys were having robes back then, you know, they're a little different. But I guarantee they had robes for 40% off at Old Navy, you know, right there. Like they, They had stuff and Jesus saying, don't worry And I say worry, they weren't not eating and they weren't naked. They were clothed and they had food. But the difference is this preoccupation with life. Okay? Then he says, consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn. When was the last time you saw a raven with a tractor, you know, just like kind (laughs) of over there in the backyard just looking for worms, you know, just tilling up and just like, you know, no, they don't have that. Let me say something about birds, though. Birds aren't lazy but they also don't worry. Okay, you see a flock of birds doing stuff. You're never going to see a bunch of birds just like laying, you know, in the park, getting a tan, you know, on their backs, you know. A bunch of ravens out there just doing nothing, you know, with their mouths open. Feed me, you know. Birds work, okay, and the Lord has asked you and I to be responsible. This isn't a sermon on, I'm just not going to worry. I'm going to be super spiritual. I'm just not going to worry anymore. I'm not going to go to work. I'm not going to pay my taxes. I'm not going to invest. I'm not going to get life insurance. I'm not going to brush my teeth. I'm not going to floss. I'm not going to, I'm going to be super spiritual like Jesus and not do anything. It's like, eh, you know, no. But don't make those things the producer of fear in your life. That's really the big deal. How's your finances right now? Hopefully they're great. Hopefully you have a house and you're making investments and you have a plan, you got a you got an agenda, you got some savings again. Hopefully that's great. But if that's your fear, if that causes you worry and angst and you get up at four in the morning and you're checking Bitcoin or you're checking the stocks or you're checking your interest rates or you're checking your investments at three in the morning or two in the afternoon, you're checking all day long. Hey, I don't know. I don't know. What you know, seek the things of the kingdom of heaven. You can have Bitcoin, you can have investments, you can have all that stuff. You should have that stuff. But if it is a source of fear in your life, Figure it out. Find the balance. Jesus gives the remedy. He says, why don't you give some stuff away? Have a garage sale. I don't want your stuff. I want your stress. I don't want you to live like this. I don't want you to fall apart at the helm, having all kinds of things and having nothing, losing everything. God knows that you need these things. I love the contrast here. Because you could easily become a legalistic weirdo to preach this sermon, build a cult kind of society, you know, give all your stuff away and... I heard one guy, I think it was the Rajneeshi guy, used to teach that the less stuff you have, the less stuff you'll worry about. So give me all your stuff. You know, and that was kind of like, and people believed it. Like, all oh, sounds brilliant, you know, and then he, whatever. So Jesus isn't after your stuff. He really wants to take your stress. The birds, he takes care of them. And by the way, the ravens here, they're, I like how Jesus uses them as his illustration because they're the most foul birds in the scriptures. They always, almost always speak of evil. Ravens do, just typically. So he says, hey, by the way, I'm taking care of them too. So even if you're here today, like, well, that's cool for you, Pastor. Like, I'm sure God's going to take care of you, you know. You've got a microphone. I'm just a dirty bird, you know. I, foul, I fouled up, you know. <laughs> fouled up, that's good. <laughs> and I think it's kind of the uttermost of the guttermost. He's like, I take care of everybody, the birds. Like, I love, okay, I'm going to take care of you. My, my, you're my sheep. Just like I dress the, the, the flowers. I take care of everything. Verse 25, and which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit of stature to his stature? And, and if then you are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? This, this logic, again, worry doesn't work. If it worked, we should worry more. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could jump in a uh, rocking chair and rock as hard as you can and actually get somewhere? Okay? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, where'd you rock to today? Oh, man, I went so far, you know. 
But if you get in a rocking chair and try to go to Walmart in the rocking chair, like, and you work all day, oh man, you're sweating, you know, blisters on your back, or whatever, you know, did you get anywhere? No, nowhere. But man, I worked hard. And that's what worry is. If worry worked, we should do it. What Jesus is saying, that's not actually, be responsible, be, you know, assertive, be, be, be mature. But if you just sit there and fret about what hasn't happened and you worry and you, that's going to actually hurt you. It's going to kill you. You can't even add a minute to your life. Why would you try and worry about things that are outside of your control? Verse 27, consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor they spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Did you know that every self-help book, every stress book, every doctor visit you have, everything you ever look to in the world about stress, no one's going to say, consider the lilies. You're not going to read it in a medical journal coming forward. You know, like, I'm just stressed out. What should I do? You know, consider the lilies. You know, <laughs> Jesus is a construction worker, you know, by trade. And here he's talking about birds and flowers because he's God and he knows what he's doing. And he undermines all of the science and all of the data and says, guys, just... Look at what God does. The, the flowers, they don't toil, they don't spin, and yet they're so beautiful. Did you know there's over 400,000 different types of species of flowers on planet Earth? 13,000 different daffodils. And they just grow. The, the flowers are so unique. And, God, and Jesus is on purpose saying, don't ever, ever look at a bird or a flower again without reminding yourself, I do that. I do that without problem. I'm able to grow things. I'm able to take things. They've actually found flower seeds that were 2,500, 3,500, 4,500 years old, just dormant. Put some water on them, psh, they grow. Just miraculous. God says, I can do anything. No matter how old, how long, no matter what's happened, consider the lilies. And it's up to you if you're going to do that or, or not today. You could leave here and go right online and check your accounts or check this or check your glucose, do all that stuff. Or you could, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spend more time. <sighs> Seeking the things of heaven, that's what he said to do. Considering what God has done. I'm going to become generous. Look at what he says in verse 28. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field, and then tomorrow is thrown into the oven, it's just kindling to start fires, well, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And I need to say this. I've got my own list of sins that I battle with, and I feel real bad about when I fail. You guys have your own list too, your own little, like, your list. He says here, oh, you of little faith. And I wonder if anybody's list has having little faith on it. Some of you guys have potty mouths or, you, you know, you look where you shouldn't look or, you, say, you, you know, you do things, you think things like, oh, I got to get a handle on that. Don't read over this too quickly when he says, oh, you of little faith. I think this is one of the biggest sins we could ever commit, having a little bit of faith. Just, you know, I don't know, Lord. He's saying, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at Solomon, look at what I've done. Quit worrying, you who have little faith. And I'm worried about all these other things, you know, out here. And that the Lord would say, you know what I really kind of get bothered by is when you don't have faith. And you know what I really get fired up on is when you have faith. When you choose to trust me when the doctor calls. When you choose to trust me when you go through the fire. When you choose to just trust me when the economy does what it does or the school systems in Southern California vote the way they do. And you just choose to trust me. And instead of jumping on the bandwagon and doing what the world does, you begin to seek the kingdom of heaven. That's what I really want to see. I wish I could give you a stick today that you could shake at all your financial problems, marital problems, gardening problems, you know, and just fix all your stuff. Just ah, the fix-it stick. Wouldn't that be cool? 1999 today. No, there's no fix-it stick. Instead, God gives us faith in the midst of all of our problems. You're going to have situations that will tempt you to worry and fear. Oh, what should I do? He tells us what to do. Verse 29. And do not seek that which you should eat or drink, nor have an anxious mind. Again, the idea of being torn apart. For these, all these things, the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. I just need you to understand this is really important for the witness that you have in this world. See, the whole world is acting just like, like they should, like, like you do sometimes. Something bad happens, they freak out, they overreact, fear, glucose, glycogen, all that stuff, you know, stress. Ah! Jesus, that's what everyone's doing. You guys are Christians. Oh, you have little faith. It's actually very, very important that you don't do what the world does by way of stress and fear. It's very important. Why? Because it's part of the witness to the world who's watching. It's part of the Nebuchadnezzars who are looking in at the fire that's burning all around you. 
It is a sin to worry and to fear. But even more than a sin, it's unchristian and it's unbecoming of the kingdom of heaven. And when you go through stuff, I wish you would and I wish you don't, but you will. But you are. It's going to happen. The Lord says, don't worry about all that stuff. God knows you need it. I'm going to walk you through the fire. I'm going to walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't have to fear evil. Why? Because I am with you. And even in the presence of your enemies, I'll prepare a table before you. You mean there's enemies? Yes, there's enemies. You mean it's a valley? Yes, there's a valley. You mean it's dark? Yes, it's dark. You know. But I'm there with you. So you, just like when my kids are with me. Okay, when I'm walking with my kids, I got young, young guys still, 10, 8, and 6. There's still this, ah, dad's here. It's all okay. It's all, and God wants us to have that response to the Father. In the midst of the giants looming, the craziness coming. He says, don't be like the world, man. Verse 31 through 34, and we got to wrap it up. He says, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Don't fear, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is all a matter of faith. Do you know the Father's love for you? Do you know that he loves you? The first lie in Genesis 3. Is God really good? Has he, is he really good? Are you sure? Is he holding out on you? And you have to answer that lie today. The Father knows what I need. This is okay. The situation I'm dealing with, I didn't ask for, but I have to be responsible over it. I'm going to walk through the fire if I have to because the Lord is with me and God will honor you as you seek his kingdom. He says practically, verses 33 and 34, sell what you have, give alms, okay? Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. I like that. You could trip out on that. Be generous. You're a Christian? You got stuff to worry about? Okay, fine. Somebody else has it worse than you. Adopt a family. Adopt a single mom or a single dad. Adopt, pray for them. Love on them. Pour into them spiritually. Give them some money if you have extra money. Do something better for somebody else. Do something good for somebody else. Give away what you have. Give all of them. Sell some stuff to, for the sole purpose of giving to other people. And what's going to happen? You're going to have a money bag that doesn't grow old. It's in heaven. It's just crazy. And you're not going to be worried no thief approaches, no moth destroys. Verse 34, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. I'm going to have the worship team up right now and close us in, in a song. But I'll tell a story that happened on Friday. Verse 34 again, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart at right now? If it's, if it's with the things of God... I mean, you really, you really want the things of God. And you've got a bank account, you've got debt, you've got a doctor to see, you have responsibility, you have stuff. Man, I got stuff to do. I got things going on, but my heart is with the Lord. They're your treasure, your absolute treasure, that's where it will be too. And you'll be protected in this world. Friday, I got a text message from Carol Corwin. She was standing right over here last Sunday, the 9 a.m. service. Texted me at Friday at 9.30, she said, call me, it's urgent. So I called her right away. She said, Kevin, my, my husband, who was playing bass last Sunday as well, he, Kevin went to the hospital that night, Friday. He didn't feel good. He walked right across the street. And she said, I haven't seen him since. And so I called, and they, they, he's on the way to Corvallis. They rushed him over to Corvallis in an in a ambulance, and he's having a massive heart attack. And, and she, I didn't even talk to him. He went over there, and they just, he's out of here. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, Pastor. What do I do? It's 9 30. I can't drive. She just had chemo. She had a bad reaction, all this stuff. And I prayed for her. I said, We need to find out what's going on. So I texted some people and kind of got some insight, knowing what's going on. And then we got her a ride and she was on her way over. She called me back about 10 minutes later. This is really cool. She called and said, Pastor, I got, a, I got a weird question. She said, Why am I not freaking out? She didn't know, Is it, is it the chemo? Is it the, med? you know, what, what's going on? I said, Well, for a couple of reasons. Because you're a woman of God. Okay? And Kevin is a man of God. And you guys have the peace of God. And nobody wants this to happen. Nobody, we, but but you, you trust the Lord. I, think, I, I feel like I should be freaking out. I said, I know. That's what the world does. The world, ah, you know. Ah. And she was responsible. She got a ride and she drove over there. She got there at midnight and came home late in the night and taking care of her husband. He's still over there. But the peace that passes understanding. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And she is a woman of God and he's a man of God. And I asked her permission to share that story and to tell you to pray for Kevin, that he would find full recovery. He's in ICU right now, and they're trying, hopefully get, he'll be released. His blood pressure's too low, and he needs to be brought up, and all the rest. And I wish I could say to you, guess what? No problems ever for, the, for your future. 
But instead, I would say this. There is faith that God can give to you to eradicate the fear. The situation that you're going to encounter, the deal. Don't be deceived by the shiny things of this world. Your hope doesn't lie there. It truly doesn't. And the world around you needs to see your faith. Needs to see it in action. So easy to say you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Got a hoodie. That's enough. No, it's not. No, it's not. The three amigos were believers. Wasn't enough. Nebuchadnezzar needed to see them in the test. The lack of worry, the abundance of confidence, trust, all of that comes from letting go of your grip on the things of the world. Have a garage sale. Sell some stuff. Find somebody that's less than you and give it to them. Just bless them. Just get, just look at the ravens. Look at the birds. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now as we look to the table. Father, we do now at the end of this service the most important thing of the day, which is to come to the table and to remember your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Where Jesus, you paid for our sins, past, present, and future. You did everything for us that we could not do for ourselves. Ver verifying, Lord, your love for us and sealing the deal, Lord, on our salvation and what we need moving forward. Lord, you did everything providing for us in order that we might, Lord, live well, that we might die victoriously, that we might have a message for the masses. So as we come to the table now, may we be reminded that you have been faithful in all things. And for the woman, for the man that is here this morning, that is stressed out, fearful, overwhelmed, torn apart, to use your word. If you're here right now and you're just, you're all jacked up, you would admit you have too much cortisol, too much adrenaline, too much glucose. You just run on the wrong octane. You need help. You don't want to do this anymore. You need help. It's, just humble yourself. You need help. Would you just, my eyes are closed. Would you raise your hand up to the Lord right now and just say, yeah, Lord, help me. Get me out of there, Lord. I don't want to walk in fear. I don't want to live this way. I just want to trust you. I want to seek the things of the kingdom of heaven. I want to be set free. I want to have a money bag that doesn't grow old. Raise your hand up right now. If you deal with stress or fear or trauma, you deal with all kinds of insecurities. Raise your hand up right now. Lord, here we are. We're your sheep. Keep your hands up. And Jesus would say to you, do not fear, O little flock. Your Father in heaven knows what you need. And it is his good pleasure to give to you the things of the kingdom of heaven. It is his good. He loves you. He loves you. That love has been proven by his son on the cross and it has been metered out by the Holy Spirit. He's available for you today. You can put your hands down. Lord, I pray a blessing on all of those who are here this morning that struggle with fear, that you, Lord, would eradicate that and bless them, Lord, with faith instead. May we have faith. May the muscle of faith be worked today and may the evidence be seen in our lives and may the fruit, Lord, be experienced in the world. May people see and know that you are real. We love you, Jesus. We do what we do now, examining ourselves, proclaiming your death until you return as we come to the table and celebrate. In Jesus' name, we pray pray. Amen.